Welcome to the Karis Podcast. We are so excited to have a couple of special guests on with us today. Two of our teachers, Austin Hoffman and Max Pointner. Austin has been on with us before, but um, if you could do a little introduction, Austin, and tell us maybe what you're doing in one of your humanities classes. And then Max, you could introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your role at Karis as well. So go ahead, Austin. Yeah. Well, if you don't want the full history, uh, you can go back in the archives of the podcast and hear right, it. Stretching all. back, yes, back <laughs> starting at 24 years old. Uh, yeah, in the humanities class I have with the eighth graders, we're just starting a section on the Crusades. So they're prepping actually for their logic class for a debate on whether the First Crusade was justified. So we're exploring that in history right now. And then the older group, ninth and tenth grade, uh, we're taking, I guess, a little bit of a literature break and going more into history. So all of Rome. We're just doing all, all the Roman things. Wow. All of it. Great. All of it. <laughs> okay, great. Well, glad to have you on. All right, Mr. Pointner. Yeah. Um, so I'm Max. Um, I've been teaching at Karis. This is my second year as a core teacher. I subbed a year before my first year, two years ago, and I teach uh, high school humanities. So 11th and 12th graders, literature, history. We're doing American right now. I teach sixth grade history and lit. I teach two Latin classes and a logic class. And then this year, I'm also teaching both rhetoric, that was last semester, and a debate class, which is this semester. And so it's fun to teach so many things within the humanities and see the things that overlap. Latin's probably my favorite, but also humanities and the teaching the 11th and 12th graders is, is a blast as well. Wonderful, yeah. You guys are, we're so thankful to have you at Karis, and I'm really excited to have you on today talking about, we're going to be talking about the Commonplace book. Um, I think it's a great resource, and I'm not sure if a lot of our parents know about the Commonplace book, or maybe they do something like Commonplace now, but, um, but I think it's a great thing to introduce to your reading, to, um, to your life, and it's been in use since the Middle Ages. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm interested to see how different people have used it, different groups have used it. And I loved hearing from you two how you use the Commonplace book, how you started using it, how you use it now. Um, maybe I can share a little bit about my journey in, in the Commonplace book. Um, but I've, I've, I learned a lot from you two uh, from your recent podcast on Commonplacing. Um, Max and Austin, for those of you who don't know, have a great new podcast also called Handmade Humanities, which I think you can find on pretty much any podcast platform. I listen to it on iTunes, but um, it's been hey, great to hear from you guys. You should be able to find it anywhere. So Handmade Humanity, Handmade's all one word. Love for you to check it out. Great, great to great to listen to you guys. Um, so yeah, so if you could maybe start us out, um, Max, maybe talk a little bit about the history of the commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, Austin, you might you might know more about the history of the commonplace. Um, we were talking about how you know it started where you would have these monasteries. It sort of was formalized around you'd have these monasteries where a you know books were rare back in the middle ages and they were all copied by hand so you were let's say you were a scribe at a monastery and you know this new book came by that you'd never seen before and it was from a monastery 50 miles away and it was dropped off and you wanted a copy of it for your library so as a scribe you would copy it down for the library well as a scribe also right 
even when your library has a copy, your library only has one copy. And if there were parts of this book that you really wanted to always look back to, you would have your own book and you would copy the best of quotes from whatever you're copying into your own little book. And Austin, remind me, what, was, what were those called again? Yeah, a flora legium or a book of flowers. Yeah, so this idea of like the commonplace book or as a collection of sayings from the things that you're copying or reading as almost a bouquet of flowers, right? These things that complement each other, these things that you're picking from various different fields and putting them in the same bouquet is kind of a great analogy for thinking about commonplace book, booking at least. So, yeah. um, but then also there's references to commonplace books from before. Um, aren't there, Austin? Right, so we have one from Seneca, who was a, an early Roman uh, Stoic philosopher. So if you wanna put him right about the time of Nero, he was, he was Nero's tutor. Uh, so right about the time of the, again, the apostles, Peter, Paul, uh, so 50, 60, 80. And he has this quote where he says, uh, we should imitate bees and we should keep in separate compartments whatever we have collected from our diverse readings for things conserved separately, keep better. Then diligently applying all the resources of our native talent, we should mingle all the various nectars we have tasted and turn them into a single sweet substance in such a way that even if it is apparent where it originated, it appears quite different from what it was in its original state. So it seems like he's talking about something of a commonplace book where you're collecting bits and pieces, you're putting them all together in one place and then allowing them to stew uh, or ferment or brew or mingle into a sweet substance as he, ter uh, as he terms it and he coming up with something new. So they're, they're drawing on these different quotations and sources. Tolkien, Tolkien made a similar comment as well about how you know, his, all of his ideas came from the leaf mold of his sort of leaf collection, right? If we think of collecting quotes as collecting leaves and then the mold as they all rot together, that's where Tolkien got, got all his ideas according, according to him, which again, an amazing analogy. Exactly, yeah. That's great. And then, the, the, then the formal, one of the first places that the idea of common book was, commonplace book was formalized was from John Locke. So John Locke has this book where he, Sort of just, it's like a, almost like a scientific treatise on the methods for commonplace booking and how you organize it and how you catalog it. And what was, what was the index like again, Austin? Yeah, so after we did our podcast, I went uh, looking for it a little bit more. So essentially the way it works is you write out every letter of the alphabet and then following every letter, uh, the, the five different vowels that you could have following that. So it doesn't matter if it's immediately consecutive or if it's a few, few other letters down the line in the word. Whenever he commonplaces, he comes up with some kind of heading for it. So if the, the heading was uh, monasticism, right, it would go under M-A, because A would be the, or, sorry, M-O, <laughs> spelling, uh, M-O, the, the first vowel that comes after M. And then he would write the uh, page number for that heading. Now, if he came across another uh, commonplace that had the same letter and then vowel, he would put it on the same page. So he would look up M-O, say he's, he wrote some, wanted something on moon, so he puts it uh, on the same page that uh, the monasticism quote was because they're both under M.O. Um, so a little bit of an interesting system. Uh, I think I finally cracked the code on that. <laughs> Did you? Good, because when I was trying to figure out how to organize my commonplace, I saw that, like I, I tried to delve in a little bit, like that's a little, that's a little much for me, but I, but I was impressed with John Locke. <laughs> with John Locke. I think around the Enlightenment also, there was um, in 14th century Italy, it was like merchants used something called a zibaldoni or something. It was basically uh, like a daily 
a ledger of their life and activities. And that was, I think that was before John Locke, but um, hmm. yeah, lots of cool ways I saw it used throughout history when I started looking into it because I, I didn't hear about it until, you know, a few years ago. And it's like, oh, I think I've been commonplacing, not very specifically, but when you take notes on the books that you love and, um, yeah, I think I, the discipline has been really helpful in doing that and it's sort of evolved. So I would love to hear from each of you how you started your commonplace book or when you, yeah, when you started a journal, when you started journaling, what you, what the difference is if you have different types of commonplace books. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I for so. me, I, oh, go ahead, Austin. Yeah, sure. It was like fighting over who goes first. Um, yeah, I, was, I think we had the same discussion as well, where I was trying to remember the first time I, I encountered it. I think I started in earnest maybe three or four years ago now. And actually, as of coming back, I think it was reading a book on writing and the, the writer uh, had, the author had recommended keeping a commonplace book. So I was like, okay, seems like an interesting idea. So now for, yeah, about three, four years now, I've kept a journal just of running quotes from different things that I'm reading. There is no organization to it. It's just as I come across a quote in a book that I want to copy down, I copy it down. So if I'm reading several books at the same time for various classes, they just all get jumbled in there, tossed in the pot. Uh, so it has the disadvantage of not being able to find anything later. Uh, but that's also somewhat of a, a blessing if you just read through it and you see all these random things juxtaposed and they start mingling together, as Seneca said, into some kind of sweet nectar. Hmm. Uh, but we might talk about talk in a minute about different methods of commonplacing and uh, my method has shifted around and I have bits and pieces all over the place and different methods. But how about you, Max? Yeah, I, so I started commonplace booking in high school. Um, my, my teacher at my classical school, the greenhouse in Wheaton, Illinois, she just sort of threw us into the deep end and was like, all right, you're going to start a commonplace book. And there weren't a lot of specific requirements around it. Um, it was mainly the, the only thing we were allowed to use with the book when we were in discussion. So all of the all of the page numbers, all of the you know themes or thematic ideas that we were playing around with, whatever we were reading, we would take notes on that in our commonplace book. We would write down quote quotations from the book, um, and we would just do all our discussion prep in that one place. And then often when we whenever we were going to have like a an essay or an in class essay on one of these things, we were only allowed the book in our commonplace book. You know, so all of the ideas, all of the thoughts, uh, all the ways that you were processing a book in, in your reading were fair game for you to use in class, even on sort of a timed assignment that was technically closed book, but open commonplace book. So what that did for me was it, it made the commonplace book not only a place where we were writing down quotes, but also a place where we were processing about the things that we were reading. Um, I've never been a serious journaler. Um, I, it just, it just is not a is not a habit I really had, and so for me, I think commonplace booking is specifically literary, um, and yet I I'm I sometimes go back and forth with how much of a sort of how how much reflection I include in that for of the thing I'm reading. The other the other piece of the commonplace book that sort of emerged there's a great book called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, in which he talks about sort of in, in a similar mode to what Austin was saying about how. You know, he was reading a book on writing and the commonplace book was first commended to him by this author. Austin Cleon talks about a little bit like the Italians that you were just telling us about, Katie, during the Enlightenment, the, the logbook concept. So you write down the things that you saw that day, the things that you did, 
it's sort of like a commonplace book, you know, for, for your, your life and your, you know, your, your eyes. You know, this is something I saw today, something about the light on this tree. Um, Austin Kleon says, that's what, this is like how artists build up ideas. So I did a lot of that in college. And then after college, I realized, wow, the things that I read like in the summers between college that I wasn't writing about, I just don't remember. And it was because I'd stopped commonplacing. And so jumping back into sort of a non-academic non reading life after college, I realized, you know, I just need to start a commonplace book because um, I remember the things that I read in high school so well. And so I jumped in. And now, now my commonplace book is more literary than a logbook, but there's a little bit of reflection here and there. Um, I also have two commonplace books. One I use every day, one I rarely use. One's nonfiction for specific research projects. So... You know, I was writing a thesis paper on the history of geology. There's a lot of nonfiction research in there, lots of drawings of medieval bestiaries and all of that. And then there's my literature commonplace book, which is the one I use, you know, basically daily. And I organize that sort of by what I'm reading at the moment. Okay, that's great. It reminds me of, um, I pulled up this quote from John Locke, reading furnishes the mind only with materials of knowledge. It is thinking that makes what we read ours. And think as you, as you write things down and you're thinking through them and processing them in the commonplace book. That's what I was missing before I learned about the commonplace book. I would write down, well, I think it started actually, I journaled my whole, <laughs> just since I could start writing, I journaled, journaled, journaled. And then, um, starting to read scripture more, I don't pay attention very well to things unless I write them down or take notes. So I started doing that and then um, would journal alongside scripture. And then when I read books, I would take notes in the back of the book. But like you were saying, Max, taking things with you is a big deal. If you want to find everything in the same place and all the books that I read when I take notes in the back of the book, then I have to go get the book if I want to look at what came out of it. So I think it was The Well-Educated Mind by Susan Weisbauer. One of you uh, referred to it in your podcast, but I think that's where either that or the Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book when I was trying to slow down reading um, and being able to take notes next to it. But I know uh, Susan Weisbauer specifically talked about the commonplace, and that might be where I learned more about how to slow down, take notes, write down parts of uh, the book that you're reading, and then process through it while you're writing. Um, so I think that might be where I learned more about it. And I just, my mind is so scattered, even when I pray or when I read or whatever, I just need to be writing something down. Otherwise I can't focus well. So it's helped me to, to focus well, my undisciplined mind. Um, but yeah, Max, you actually put little sketches in your commonplace as well, which I loved hearing about. Uh, right now I'm reading Crime and Punishment and I just met a character that was like, oh my goodness, like, the only way I can really remember this description aside from writing it down in my commonplace book is, you know, doing a little doodle next to it. So I'm always trying to, you know, doodle in my, in my commonplace book. Man, that's great. And so you said you, um, when you read books, that's what you, you kind of categorize, well, not even categorize, but you just go by book, you write down by book in your commonplace book. What if, and Austin, you just write, write down things as you, and you just kind of go, what, Helter Skelter, kind of, you know, write down something that you come across. Um, what if, Max, you're reading a few books at once? <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's, that's, always the, that's always the question. I, one, try not to read more than, <laughs> I try not to read that many books at once. Um, what, I've, what I've sort of ended up doing is there are, 
there are several pages in my commonplace book where you know anywhere from a third to half the page is blank just because i'll either have started a new book and sort of guessed oh this is how much room i'm gonna need and then i either don't have enough room or i have too much room and so it's like oh well i guess i'll write a poem there at some point um so yeah the other thing that i found is helpful is i will put page numbers in my commonplace book so i've just a handwritten page number on every page so if I do run out of room and I've already started the next page, I'll say, you know, continued on this page so that when I'm going through, I can flip through and find, find where I left off with that particular work. Sure. Austin, how about organization for you? Um, anything else that you've tried? Uh, so I've tried, I guess, something similar with the page numbers and trying to give a topic to each quote and then, you know, create an index in the front or in the back uh, with kind of general headings you know, virtues, themes, ideas, uh, things like that, and then refer back. Um, I may adopt the book by book approach fairly soon here. Uh, but my general practice has just been as they're going in. So like the page that I'm open to right now, it's Ben Franklin, Peloponnesian War, uh, and then Plato, just all all mixed up. So those headings, that's that's what I'm always drawn to, because I feel like this was the part of my commonplace book that I, I needed themes, I needed categories. So you don't when you number your pages, you said you do that sometimes, but that seems yeah. like a big deal to me. <laughs> so I actually saw one, one school while I was kind of researching this, they, they have all their students uh, keep a commonplace book and they actually uh, give them one every two years and they, they try and have them fill, fill it up. Um, they have their students uh, separate out the book into maybe 14 to 20 different headings. So it's like seven different virtues, right? Uh, faith, hope, love, wisdom, justice, courage, temperance. Um, giving us an allotted amount, maybe 20 pages or so per heading, um, then different themes that they'll talk about over those two years in school, you know, the relationship of, of government and, and religion, uh, or um, just war, or revolutions, right, you know, all the topics that I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. Uh, and they, they give them all these topics. And then I think there's just uh, beautiful sayings in the back. And as students are filling out their books, they put the different quotes under the appropriate headings. So that gives it a little bit of organization by topic uh, for the book. And, and then they, you know, they give them the nice journals every two years or, or whatever. I found a commonplace book in my research that actually, so I index mine as well. I have categories that I use and um, it actually has a, like a index page in it. And then all of the pages are already numbered. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's kind of like a moleskin. It's a European, have you seen this? No, but just the idea of a already page numbered journal excites me. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, so I don't bring up. Have either of you seen uh, the Japanese indexing system? I think it's Jap It's called Japanese indexing or something like that. I don't think so. Essentially, what you're doing is uh, you highlight a little portion of the side of the page oh. on each page that this has to do with. Yeah. And then either at the front or the back, right? You you color in that same corresponding section, and then and then write the the um, you know the topic or the book or, or whatnot. So then, when the book's closed, um, you can see all those different highlights, almost like tabs on the on the edges of the book. And so you have your index, and you can flip to the appropriate section. And even if you broke the section up into two spots, depending on how you're coloring the side of the page, you can still identify those and find those flipping through. So it's kind of a neat idea, uh, without extra materials to create an index. I love yeah, that. Idea. Something that, something that I love about the, the book by book method too is, so I, I always date when, when I start a book and when I end a book. 
so after every entry, right? So it's like, um, let me flip open to random book. So uh, crossing to safety, crossing to safety by Wallace Stegner. I read it. I started it on January 1st, 2019. I finished it January 18th, 2019. So it's fun to have like a chronological record. And it's interesting because whenever I think about it, I have a sort of slot of where it was in the lineup of this commonplace book. You know, I know it's close to the front. Um, I know if, if there's this particular quote from it, I'm always thinking of that quote, how, it, how does it connect to the story, right? And if I'm connecting with someone at something else, I, I can think, oh, I think Stegner says something about this in, you know, when he's talking about friendship and crossing to safety. So I can sort of go back and, and it's fun to see sort of the, the chron chronological accumulation of the quotes book by book and the chronological accum accumulation of the things I've read too. Um, sort of seeing what I read next to each other, um, you know, how long it took me to read it. You know, there are some books where I'm ashamed how long it took me to read. And it's like, wow, I must have had a really hard time with that one. <laughs> I, that's why I use Goodreads. I know you'll yeah, probably Goodreads. stop at my electronic use of Goodreads, but I, I can't do book by book because I read, I read a bunch of books at once and sometimes it takes me forever to get through one or I have an issue with fiction. And so I just... I can't read it during the week because I'll stay up all night to finish it right away, <laughs> right away. When it, so it takes me much longer to get through nonfiction. So I have a bunch at once. So, and it really stresses me out to go do book by book in my commonplace <laughs> because if they're in different places, it just drives me crazy. So I've had to do the index and Goodreads has been my cheat. So I know which books I've read and when. I also read too fast. So sometimes I've read a book and don't remember what I've read if I don't commonplace and um, can go back to Goodreads and like, oh yeah, I, I did read that. But that's not a very classical method. <laughs> I, mean, I need to learn to slow down. Like related to, to what you're talking about, I think both, both you and Max have touched on this, is how commonplace does help you to slow down and think yeah. about what you're, you're reading. And in the monastic practice, right, they're doing this um, not just as a method of preserving things because they don't have books, but it's also a spiritual exercise and discipline that they're reading, they're writing it down, they're meditating on it, they're praying through it, all right, the primary uh, consumption for them are spiritual works and things, things of that nature. And there is a sense that you, uh, the act of writing something out by hand causes you to think on those words more than you would when you're just scanning across them on the page. And it's not even just the slowing down part of it, right? There's that, but it's also you're forming the words yourself, right? By, by your own hand, putting them in your own hand, you're having to uh, almost chew and process on them to get them onto the page as they, they slowly leak out the end of your, your pen. Um, so you're, you're yeah. doing what the author did, right? You are making the same words the author did, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's something so embodied about it. And it, even, the, even the vocabulary you were just using, Austin, it's like the Francis Bacon quote, some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some to be chewed and digested. And this is exactly what Susan Wise Bauer talks about in her chapter on commonplacing in The Well-Educated Mind, how the commonplace book is the place where you do that. And she talks about how, you know, not all foods are worthy of being swallowed and digested. And the commonplace book is a place where you can, you know, sort of taste, right? Or maybe reading is the tasting. Swallowing it is maybe the writing down certain quotes in the commonplace book. And then if there is reflection that's needed, if there is, you know, if there are thoughts that are continuing to percolate because of that quote, right? The commonplace book is then where you can sort of more journalistically reflect on the quote that you've just written. But something about like that metaphor of food that Bacon gives us is, is just, yeah, it, it, so, it, it so encapsulates why there is an almost 
spiritual discipline aspect or incarnational aspect to commonplacing? Yeah, I think it's a really good thing to do with, you know, good literature, like you were talking about books that are worthy of being chewed and swallowed, tasted. But as you're talking, it's just reminding me of scripture, how um, I was thinking of Proverbs 2, um, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, search for it as hidden treasures, and then just the metaphor of food as we, you know, taste scripture, taste and see that he is good. There's a, um, I don't remember who publishes it, but there's somebody, I think it's Crossway, who publishes a scripture and then there's like lines on each page so you can actually just rewrite scripture um and i'll do yeah. that sometimes or tell people to do you know write write out the psalms if you are struggling and i think that that is such a beautiful way like you were saying to process through to stop to chew um and to meditate on it it's yeah it's good very monastic too <laughs> yeah. well even with with old testament right they were the israelites were instructed to to write the words on, on tablets and on their doorposts and, yeah. and bind them right on their wrist. And of course we know that the Pharisees, right, took this to the extreme and, well, look how many words I have, but, you know, laying aside the abuses of it, right. They're still told to, to be treasuring these things, writing these things down, preserving them, putting them in front of them as many times as they can. Yeah, absolutely. You've shared a little bit of the benefits you found from commonplacing. Is there anything else you'd want to add or um, anything that, might inspire some of our listeners to start commonplacing. I think one of the one of the biggest thing that things that it's helped me with is just not just memory, but the ability to talk about things that I've read even a long time ago that aren't fresh. Um, there, there's a sense in which they're still fresh in my commonplace book. You know, so um, just a few weeks ago, my mom had read a book that I read a long time ago, but because I had sort of all my initial thoughts there in my commonplace book, I was able to flip to it and sort of say, oh, you know, on this page, you know, it'd been two years since I'd read the book. On this page, though, this, this is what the author talks about. And, you know, you, you can just grab a copy, flip to it, and then there's the chunk. It's, you know, often I've got the full quote in the commonplace book, but the, the way in which it opens up conversations with people who are reading a book now that it's, and it's been a long time since you've read it, it just, it just keeps the conversation fresh in a sense. And that's something that I've, all, I've always found helpful. Um, there's a friend of mine from high school, actually, um, and we meet up for coffee every time he's in town, and we just talk about books. That's all it is. And that's where that's where almost the commonplace um, usefulness is at its peak. It's like, oh man, like he just read this. Oh well, I can I've got it all right here. You know, I don't even have the book with me. So you yeah, bring definitely the commonplace. Help. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, it definitely helps to to remember and to be able to look look back at that. Um, I would add, I guess, for me, there's the, the aspects we talked about with slowing down and memory, being able to refresh yourself. Uh, for me, oftentimes, it's a source of inspiration because you just uh, have these different quotes start colliding with each other, and then you make the connection. And then, you know, it's, it's, they're either saying the same thing, or they're disagreeing with each other, or they're talking about two different things, and then you bring them together. And then always, uh, you know, the great maxim, uh, what good artists uh, good artists borrow great artists steal or something like that uh, where, where you're collecting from a lot of different sources and bringing them together and putting them together in something uh new and just having that that record of your life that you can go and, and look back to yeah absolutely i remember one time i um i was reading i think it was saint gregory naziensis or something and i had written down a quote from him in my commonplace book and then later that night i was watching a 
Star Trek The Next Generation episode. And there was there was a quote from that that I that I really loved. And so I wrote them down next to it. There's actually a connection here. And uh, I have like a whole a whole page in like talking or data quote. I love it. That's great, Max. <laughs> so I don't remember where I found this. I think it's uh I'm not sure that I found who who's quoted it, but the, it says the truest port form of poverty is when you have occasion for anything and you can't use it because you know not where it is laid. It reminded me of uh, the commonplace book, putting <laughs> and making those connections. You you have them right in front of you. That actually reminds me of a, another thing I was going to mention with this is that you are the kind of person um, uh, you know that corresponds to your memory. That's that's an awkward way of saying it, but right, you are what you can remember, what you can hold on to. Uh, you are what you can call upon in conversation and commonplacing and making you slow down. Like you don't want, always want to be running for that commonplace book to have something to say. But the very act of doing this helps you to remember uh, those things to put them in your head so that you have these, these resources, you have this furniture in your mind that you can draw on, uh, that you can be an interesting person and have something to talk about and something to say because you've been storing up these things and, and putting them down in a book. And that's helping you to remember and be able to, to pull them out. And so yeah, you, know, you have somebody like physical mind palace. Yeah. Found on that. The mind palace was the Sherlock reference, right? Yeah. Well, so there's like a, if you don't have a photographic memory, apparently, and I've never actually tried this psychologically, but there's a way in which you can imagine your brain is a giant room or a giant library. And every time you find something or learn something that you want to remember, um, you, you know, at the end of the day, you just imagine yourself walking into this library and storing all of those things where they are. And apparently this is actually really helpful in allowing you to recall those things, right? If there's some scrap of information that you learned, like some, the, the way of just imaginatively physicalizing that, right? Oh, you know, I wrote that, I wrote that idea on a piece of paper and I put it in, you know, under, under the bust of Gustav Mahler, you know, in my, in my mind palace. Then like, if you need to remember that, right? It's like, oh man, where was that? Um, it's a way of, of physicalizing again, imaginatively where things are in your mind. I find that the commonplace book is just an easier, less, uh, it's a more embodied way of doing that. And so, yeah, like, like you were saying, Austin, it's, it's, you are what you are going to remember. And if you're carrying this around you with you, wherever you go, it's, it's right there. It's in your back pocket or in your backpack. So how, how many commonplace books do you go, th go through Austin, Max? Uh, so I've done, uh, filled up two very small journals. They were maybe only 68 pages each or so. Uh, I recently started a much uh, longer one that's, I don't know, something like 280 pages, but I actually think I'm going to switch midstream and go to a, a slightly larger version of essentially the same thing. Um, I also have a box full of note cards. Like I, I think Max and I talked about this, that I guess that's more of the nonfiction side or, or research side if there's projects and those are somewhat organized and tabbed. So there's, I don't know, hundreds of cards buried somewhere. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I, I have one fiction commonplace book and one nonfiction. So uh, as you were mentioning before, Katie, I, I started my fiction commonplace book in 2018. It's 200 pages. Um, I'm one of those people that like, once you start a journal, I like won't switch until it's done. And no matter how painful it is, you know, I have like six pages left and it's like, oh, I've been working on this for years and I'm almost there. Um, so yeah, this is the one I started in 2018 and I'm at page, oh, I 
lost page numbers, but I'm probably at page 80 or something. Um, but I write very small. I, I write teeny tiny, all caps, typically, unless it's reflection, then it's in cursive. Um, or unless it's a poem, then it's in, you know, sort of some kind of style. I, I actually sort of, part of my organization is also by font. Um, so yeah, so I have, I have one, which is nice because, you know, if there's a quote from several years ago, it's, or two years ago, at least it's, it's with me all the time. That's great. So the fonts you have, I love that. Do you use different colors of pens too, or? Yeah, it used to all be black. So okay. I was getting the fountain pens right when I started commonplacing. So the first, like, I don't know, 50 pages are probably all black. And then, and then I started doing each book. I've only got a few colors that I circulate between, but each book I try to start a new color. So right now I'm reading Crime and Punishment and uh, my, it's all in red, which seems appropriate for us. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> the infamous theme, yeah. Yeah, how about you, Austin? I know you have a, you lo have a love for pens as well. Yeah, so I have lot, lots of fountain pens, lots of colors, but no real preference or organization. It's kind of whatever is close at hand, just grab one and, and go. Okay. Uh, I have some, some uh, thicker nibs on them, though, so I can't write very tiny. <laughs> yeah. That's something, that's something to helped with, you know, by doing it by book. Sometimes I'll have only allotted so much room and then I'll, I'll need to squeeze a quote in and then it's like, okay, here we go. How small can I write? So I think my record is I've gotten four lines in my handwriting and one line in the journal lines. Oh my goodness. Have you seen the uh, Pigma Micron pens? Yes, I, that's what I've used. I've okay, used those yeah. before. They're fantastic. And they don't bleed through generally. Right. I ended up switching my first commonplace book because it bled through and drove me nuts. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So if you would, would you read us something from your, maybe something recent from your commonplace journal? So this is a quote that uh, in reading crime and punishment really st struck, stuck out to me. And um, it was so cool to have written this down and then reading it in class with my students right now, we, then like several weeks after I commonplaced it, had a long discussion about it. But um, this is where Raskolnikov is thinking through like, what is a crime? And, you know, why, why do criminals so often get caught? He says, at first, though this was a long time ago, one particular question had absorbed him. Why are almost all crimes so easy to trace and so poorly concealed? And why do almost all criminals leave such an obvious trail? The conclusions at which he had arrived, little by little, were varied and intriguing. The most important reason, in his view, lay less in the physical impossibility of concealing the crime than in the criminal himself. For criminals, almost without exception, succumb at the moment of the crime to a weakening of the faculties of reason and will, which are replaced, in stark contrast, by thoughtlessness of a childish and quite extraordinary kind, at precisely the moment when reason and caution are most essential. As he saw it, the eclipse of reason and the weakening of the will consume a person like a sickness, progressing steadily to their furthest point shortly before the crime is committed. They continue in that same form at the very moment of the crime, and for a little while thereafter, depending on the individual, then they pass like any other sickness. As to whether it is the sickness that gives rise to the crime, or crime itself, which somehow by its special nature is always accompanied by something akin to sickness. This was a question he did not yet feel capable of resolving." End quote. 
Oof. It's a good one. I love that quote. Oh, it just, the, the way that he thinks through what is sin and to what degree is sin the parasite versus choice of parasite, you know, poor choices, like welcoming that or being welcomed by it. It's, it's just such a, such a chilling passage. Yeah. And just the psychology of him gearing up to try and deny his, his crime, right? Like, well, why do they, yeah. why do they get caught? Cause they're weak, right? They can't psychologically deal with it. And so they, 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 uh, that's right. And they, I, make in class, what we were talking in class, we were talking about how, you know, I remember as a kid walking into, you know, uh, department stores and looking around and be like, yeah, I could probably like hide in the pajama section. And then when they close, you know, run out and steal a bunch of Legos. Um, and, and like, I hit a point in thinking through that where I realized like, oh yeah, like that's the, the thing that, that stops any, that would probably stop most just regular people from doing that is the recognition that like, oh wow, I can't lie. Like lying would destroy me if I did that and you know was brought in to be interrogated like i that's where that's where all things fail right like sin itself does corrupt you you know you break that law and while it might be easy to break that law um there's something inside that is broken that you just can't repair the same way as you know um the physical act might you know indicate really interesting the quote I have is from the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides. So he's chronicling the, the battle between Sparta and Athens. Uh, after they both jointly defeated the Persians, they kind of devolve into a, a Grecian war among themselves because over the Athenian Empire. Uh, so here's, um, I forget exactly who Thucydides is quoting. I didn't, didn't write that part down, but uh, I think it's just a timeless expression uh, of truth. So these take as your model and judging happiness to be the fruit of freedom and freedom of valor never decline from the dangers of war. And I'm pretty sure this is one of the Athenians speaking because the, the problem the Athenians had is they have all this gusto for war at the beginning uh, and, and to fight the Spartans and they're never gonna give in. But uh, their leader Pericles knows, yeah, once your farmlands start getting burned and once your, your relatives start dying, you're not gonna have the, uh, the gumption and the drive to actually see the war through to the end. Like we can outlast them. We're, we have more money than the Spartans. If we just hide in our cities and just kind of let them burn themselves out, they'll run out of money and then we'll win. But there's also this, this like you don't have the uh, conviction to, to follow through. You're going you're gonna to cave because you're a democracy. But then the idea that he's expressing here, right? Happiness is the fruit of freedom and freedom of valor or of courage uh, and seeing the link uh, that, that, uh, in that chain that if you want happiness, you must have freedom. But if you want freedom, you actually have to have courage to, to be able to fight for it and, and defend it. And you can't just expect it to come. Yeah. There's not just like, it's sort of an anti-escapism, right? It's like, yeah, you can't just bunker down. You know, there is actually a character building that happens when you, when you muster up courage. That's great. Um, one of the last things I'd love to hear from you guys about is just why what you touched on why writing down um, at the very beginning in particular, but um, I know there are a lot of people who just copy and paste and do sort of electronic con commonplace. Um, you've given us a bit of a pitch on why to write down your quotes and why to use a written commonplace. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that or maybe why you could use an electronic commonplace? I can, I can just say, I know my husband uses uh, Evernote or Bear and he just copies and pastes and then tags them. Um, so he can refer back 
Yeah, I think um, I'm going to pull up this Susan Wise Bauer quote, just the end yeah. of that the one great. that I put in here on common. The pursuit of, so she says, we living in the, in the 21st century, speed is a virtue of the computer, of the digital age. Speed is something that we're obsessed with, right? Time is money. Think about all these, um, all these sayings that we have. And uh, so, so she's talking about how there's, there's often this impetus just in our culture, in our cultural air that we're breathing to read fast, to copy, to paste, the more information, the better. Um, she says, quote, the, but the pursuit of knowledge is centered around a different ethic. The serious reader is not attempting to assimilate a huge quantity of information as quickly as possible, but to understand a few many-sided and elusive ideas. The speed ethic shouldn't be transplanted into an endeavor that is governed by, a ver by very different ideals, end quote. So I think, again, especially, especially as people who read a lot of things that were written a long time ago, right, before the speed ethic even, even was a thing, um, I think there's, there's something to slowing down and, and there's an absorption that happens as you're writing. I think often when I'm copying and pasting, um, whether it's for work, whether it's for, you know, writing a lecture and I'm pulling this quote from something I'm reading online and putting it in. Um, I think often the idea that I have is, oh, I just need to save this and remember where it is and then I'll come back to it and think about it later. But the amount of times I actually come back to it and think about it deeply um, isn't very often. When, it's, when, I, when I'm writing it and taking the time to write about it, right, when copy paste isn't something that's taken for granted, granted, and when words themselves aren't something that I'm taking for granted, I think it forces me to engage deeper with the thing in the here and now. Um, and, you know, when I'm, when I'm done with it, there's either the impulse to say, oh, you know, now I've done that, you know, it's now my busy life is catching up with me and I don't have time to look back. Or the impulse is, wow, I spent so much time writing that quote down in my commonplace book. Like, you know, I've invested in it. I'm more invested in the quote now than I would have been if I'd copied and pasted. So I actually have more impetus to go back and read it because it was something that I took so much time to accomplish before. Yeah, I think also it helps with the selectivity, right? If you're going to commit the time to write this out by hand, you're, you're a little bit more selective than you can just grab these long sections. Uh, you might edit it a little bit more if you're going write it, to write it out. Um, and then as Max is saying, right, it, it ingrains it uh, in your soul, in your memory, more than if you just stroke a couple of keys, right? I mean, even just think about the difference in producing letters, right? Uh, in producing a letter on your keyboard, it doesn't matter which letter it is. It's exactly the same experience. You press the button, uh, you press the key. But in, in writing it out, you're actually having to individually shape each letter and everyone is, is different in the, the stroke that you're making with the pen. And so I think that, that uh, muscle uh, action helps confirm it in your, your memory a little bit more. And then as, as Max is saying, right, it's, it's yours. It's, it's part of you in a way it isn't when you just stroke a couple keys, throw it in a document somewhere. But it does, uh, doing it electronically does solve the uh, organization problem because you can search. And you can search by author, you can search by tag, you can search by keywords, and you can probably find everything that you need. Um, but it's a little bit less meaningful than, than writing it out and having to do it the slow way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you commonplace as you're reading or do you commonplace a book after you're done? Like put a little tab on it and then commonplace at the end. I've done both. Uh, a lot of times I just throw it in kind of 
you know, as a daily habit, try and grab, grab some quote from something that are reading. Uh, but sometimes I'll, yeah, mark the different pages and then at the end go through and do another round of selection, uh, I guess. So, you know, maybe weed out some that don't quite make the cut. Um, yeah, I, I do both as well. You know, if something sticks out to me a lot as I'm reading it, I'll write it down. Um, I'll also, I'll often do like sort of word studies too. So, you know, Dostoevsky is using the word mirage a lot. So I've got mirage with a bunch of page numbers after it. Um, and then when I'm done either with, you know, a chunk of reading for the day, like typically before I read again the next day, I'll go back through what I read the day before, see what I've underlined with that. Yeah. More discerning eye sort of think, okay, like, what are the ones I want to write down? Um, what are the things that I maybe missed in the, the things that I've underlined or marked? And then typically when I'm done with a whole book, I'll go back through the things that I've commonplaced, look back in the book at those, flip through, see if I've missed anything. So yeah, it's, I'm sort of, my commonplace book is my reading companion, both as I'm reading and right after I'm reading and processing the thing I've just finished. Mm -hmm. What about our parents who don't have a lot of time to even read? much less commonplace. What would be your encouragement to, to those parents, to any of us who are just feeling more busy than we could sit and write for a while? <laughs> I think as one, one author puts it right, just uh, plod away. So if you can grab those little snatches of time, um, you know, if there are, are you know, if you're the kind of person who could read at a red light or something without endangering everybody around you, um, I'm not suggesting you commonplace uh, at that situation. But if you have those stretches of time, you're waiting at a doctor's office, you're waiting for, for this appointment, you're waiting for so-and-so to get picked up or sent off to school, or, or you're waiting in the car line at, at Karis to pick up your kids, right? There's these little snatches and moments that uh, if you add them up, uh, you can actually reclaim quite a substantial amount of time. So trying to find some of those things and then just uh, being as consistent as yeah i would say don't be intimidated by john locke i mean <laughs> there are these people there are these people that have these crazy systems for you know oh everything i write down i need to have immediate access to right i mean there's a little bit of the of the of the speed ethic there right like the original idea of commonplacing I mean, when text was so valuable for these monks right it's just a place to write it down right they're thankful for the page, you know, paper itself is rare in this time. So they're thankful just for the page and the text on the page. Um, you know, Tolkien, right? It's just leaf mold, right? Seneca, it's just, you're just writing the things down. Like, don't worry about organization. Don't worry about having an epically awesome commonplace book. Like it's yours. Just, just you know, value it as space to write down things that you're gonna wanna remember, um, but don't be intimidated by all the systems and all the complexity that's possible. Um, you know, if, if it develops into a habit where it becomes more complex, just because, you know, it's necessary for you, then absolutely go for it. But start small is what I would say. Um, so we always end our podcast with a recommendation. You've already recommended the commonplace and to just start, but I'm not going to let you get off that easy. We want to hear another recommendation, <laughs> a book you're reading, music, anything at all. Are we allowed to recommend our own podcast? <laughs> yes, I think that can, that can be my recommendation. That was mine. I started with it. <laughs> no, that's a good recommendation. I think I'll recommend for this time uh, the Ransom Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. So everybody knows him for Narnia. Uh, the Ransom Trilogy uh, is his attempt at science of fiction 
but of course he's a medieval writer. So it's shot through with medieval cosmology through and through. Uh, and in the last one, which is uh, Lewis imitating uh, Huxley and Orwell, and he's writing his Dystopia, uh, Merlin shows up because um, he can't get away from his Arthurian legend. So I'd recommend that whole trilogy. And if you want to know why it shouldn't be called the Space Trilogy and why, why Lewis would be furious that his, his uh, series, you can come talk to me sometime. <laughs> I would recommend, yeah, I would recommend uh, the the piece Te Deum Laudamus by Anton Bruckner. Uh, Bruckner was a German Catholic composer in the mid-19th century, which is sort of a weird, um, you don't see those terms next to each other very often. Bruckner's interesting because he he's super religious. He's a devout Catholic in Germany in like the 18, 1850s through 70s, um, and yet he loves the music of Wagner. Wagner, you know, who sort of was much more progressive music musically at the time, um, was very pretty anti-religion. Um, he he loved that style of music, and so Bruck fascinating because um, he's sort of actually stuck between the more conservative composers of the time, like Brahms, who are writing more symphonic music, um, but then the style, the style, the styles of Wagner. And he was actually alienated by both. Um, but Te Deum Laudamus is just this beautiful um, piece that he's written. It's in Latin, so he's taking from one of the Psalms. Um, and the way that he handles the soloists, and there's, a, there's, a, there's this one just glorious part where you have a, a baritone and a soprano and a solo violin just like weaving all together singing this psalm. It's, it's absolutely incredible. So Te Deum Laudamus would highly recommend it by Anton Bruckner. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll try to link to, to those, those recommendations in our, our show notes. But well, thank you both, Austin and Max, so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us, your encouragement to start a commonplace. I hope we get to chat with you again soon. But thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much.